I think all of us in this room are aware of the tragedy that has unfolded and continues to unfold in Maui, in that community of Lahaina. Our church has always been a church that shows up. It doesn't matter where it is on this planet, if there's hurt, if there's heartbreak, if there's loss, the Second Baptist family is going to show up. And so this moment's no different. We have stood up a relief effort. If you want to participate in that and giving to that, I can promise you every penny of that will be used to help those in need. Uh, if you want to participate in that, all you have to do is go to second.org. You can click on, uh, there's, a, there's going to be a, a very obvious and easy pathway to do that. You can give electronically. You can participate in that. There again, uh, we are going to make sure that people who are hurting and in our need are going to be provided for. And so I want to challenge you all, participate that in some way. That'd be great. As you know, our hearts and prayers go out to all those who are experiencing loss as they continue to sift through the wreckage. Let's pray for them together this morning. Can we do that? Father, we're thankful for the fact that you don't abandon us. You're never surprised. You're never caught off guard. Father, you do promise to be with us in the hurt, the heartbreak, the, the loss. And so, Father, we pray for the families. We pray for the individuals who are grieving today, who are trying to discern and know what step is next, where to even go. God, we pray that you'd be present with them, that your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness would, would shine upon them. Father, help them to have courage and strength as they seek to rebuild their community. Help us to show up and to help in the ways that we can. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's a picture on the screen of a object. Most of you probably have no idea what this object is. This artifact was found in 1901. 1901 off of the coast of, of Greece, just outside the community of Antikythera. It's called the Antikythera mechanism or the Antikythera machine. And what makes this significant, the reason that this is historical, is because when it was discovered, and they begin to look at it and clean it up in 1901, they quickly identified that this object had, had gears, and that it was indeed a machine. And as they begin to research and look at things that they had access to back in those days, they discovered that this was the first man-made computer, analog computer, if you will, dating back to 70, 80 BC. About 100 years later, 2008, a group of scientists and historians and archeologists from Cardiff University employed new technology, tomography and other forms of digital photography and begin to inspect this artifact even further. And to their amazement, and what makes this even more significant, is that through the latest technology, they were able to identify that there was inscription or writing 
on the casing of this machine. And so the machine came with and had an instruction manual. And scientists say that this is, in all of historical record, the first instance of something that was created coming with instructions. Okay? The first instruction manual, the Antikythera mechanism, 70 to 80 BC in Greece. Or was it, or is it the first example of an instruction manual? Open your Bibles with me. Let's hop back in. If you were here last week, we were in the book of Psalms. We were in chapter 19. Last week we talked about verses 1 through 6, and we talked about how God is communicating through creation. We talked about the gospel in the stars and that God has something that he is shouting and communicating to all of creation through his creation. And when you read chapter 19, there, there's something that happens, and I want to show you what that is. Look at verse 6. Verses 6 and 7. I want to read it to you. David here is writing, and in verse 6 he's talking, remember, he's talking about the sun. And he says this, it's, talking about the sun, its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. First six verses, David in detail is talking about creation. Then all of a sudden in verse seven, he transitions to Scripture. He transitions to talking about the law of God. And when you read that, it's almost like David has gone off course. It's almost like he, he's kind of lost track with the first six verses. But that's not the case at all. David has, has not lost his train of thought. He's continuing this thought. He's following this consistent line of, of thought that he has that creation teaches us that we serve a great God a good and powerful and reliable God. And here's the, here's the important thing. That same God has given us something to navigate this life. Here's the big thought for today. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here is the, the big picture for today. What has God given us? Verses six to seven, what's the transition? Creation comes with an instruction manual. That's it. It's what David's saying in verse seven. Creation comes with an instruction manual. That's, the, that's what David's going to begin to unpack for us. Those first, those first five words, those first five words in verse seven, the law of the Lord. That word law, Torah, it, it's not just talking about the scrolls, all right? He's talking about all of all of God's truth, all of God's revelation to us. Remember verses one through six is general revelation through nature, through creation. Now David's transitioning to special revelation through scripture. And so he's saying, hey, all of God's truth, all of God's ways is the law of the Lord. And that word law, if you really break it down and get into the etymology of the word, that word law really just simply means instruction. That's it. 
He says, hey, this is God's instruction to us. This is what he has communicated and told us. Creation comes with an instruction manual. David's telling us that we, we have this as we seek to navigate this sin-saturated world that we live in. Look around, friends. Look around at our world. I turned 44 last weekend, and so I, I am in no way uh, someone who can stand up here and say, you know, I've seen so many things, and I've lived such a life, and let me tell you, but, but I, in my short time on this earth, I can tell you this. The world is different today than it was when I was growing up. The world's different. In some ways, I don't recognize the world that we live in. I don't recognize the things that are going on. We've talked so much about this. Our pastor has led us in this conversation. The world seems to be turned upside down. And all of us are asking questions. We're scratching our heads. We're looking for answers. We're struggling. We want to know how to navigate this broken, fallen world that we live in. We, we want to know what's true. What's truth anymore? God, what, what, is, what is truth? There's an assault on truth in the world that we live in. God, what is right and what is wrong? What, what's reliable? How do we handle the challenges that we face? That's what David's going to tell us. It's what David's going to point to. He says, hey, here's creation, but here's the instruction manual. Let me tell you how to navigate this world. Let me point you to the source that's going to help you move forward and follow God as you work through the broken world that we live in. A little show and tell this morning. I brought something. Um, my good man, Austin Gentry. You guys show some love to Austin Gentry this morning. Thank you, sir. Nice boots. This is something uh, from my house. About a year or so ago, uh, my family, we were, had the opportunity to, to build a home. And so at the end of the construction process, they handed me, the builder handed me this, this binder. You know what's in this binder? Every instruction manual of everything mechanical and then some in my house. It's got stuff about ceiling fans in here I've never read. Uh, I was slipping through this last night. There are warranties I should have filled out a long time ago <laughs> in this. There's a package of screws in here. I'm not, there's a package of screws. I don't know where they go. They're in this manual. Refrigerator manual. HVAC system manual. I could go on and on and on. Alarm system. Things I don't even know where they are, but they're in this book. And this book is great, and it's helpful, and I'm glad that I have it. But can I tell you something? There's been some times in the last year where I've had to deal with something, investigate something, and that book has been no help. I mean, it's been pointless. I've gone to it, and I've flipped through it. I'm like, it's not in here. I have to get on YouTube. It's, it's, it's a tool, and I'm thankful for it. It's insufficient. It's insufficient. In these next three verses, verses seven through nine, David's gonna walk through all the reasons why his word, 
this instruction manual he's given us, he's gonna tell us all the reasons why it's different than any other one on the planet. He's gonna to communicate to us its importance. He's gonna tell us why it's all encompassing. He's gonna tell us why there's nothing you're ever gonna face in life. There's nothing you're ever gonna go through. Parent, single parent, young man, young woman, it doesn't matter your age or stage. There's nothing you're gonna face in this life that you can't find a solution, advice, wisdom, guidance from this book right here. That's what David's gonna say. Look with me at verses seven through nine. David lays out these six declarations, if you will. And I don't wanna to be too cute this morning. I just wanna read scripture to you. I'm gonna help you kind of break it down. I just wanna walk you through these six declarations. And if you're taking notes, you can write them down. Here are the six things that David tells us that make this book different than anything on the planet. Look at verse seven, the first part of verse seven. He says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In each one of these phrases, David refers to this instruction manual as something else. Here he calls it the law. He says it's the law of the Lord. He then tells us what it is. He says that this law is what? Perfect. And he says what it does. What does it do? It revives the soul. When it says it's perfect, it means that there's no error. There's no defect. It doesn't lack anything. It doesn't need anything else to address our circumstances. This law is perfect. What does it do? It revives our soul. It refreshes us when we're tired, when we're worn out, when we're lifeless. lifeless. It brings us back to life. Does anyone in this room this morning feel spiritually dead? I've got good news for you. God's word, his law is perfect and it brings us back to life. The answers you're looking for are in this book. Look at the latter part of verse seven. He says this, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What is it? It's sure. It's true in principle. It can be verified in all situations of our life. This word is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. The Bible gives wisdom to all of those who are in need, to gullible, naive, undiscerning, to anyone and everyone on this planet. This word gives wisdom. Who in this room this morning needs some guidance in their life? Who's going through a situation where you're scratching your head, you're looking for answers? I need some wisdom. Good news. God's instruction manual has it for you. Look with me, look at verse eight. I'm gonna keep walking through this. Verse eight, hang with me. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What is it? It's right. What does that mean? God's rules are never wrong. They provide truth, they provide accuracy. What does it do? It brings joy to the heart. Our lives are joyous because we are not riding the waves of public opinion. We're not riding the culture wars. wars. We find our truth in God's word. Then David says this, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What is it? It's pure. God's commandments shine. They're a brilliant and bright light. They push back on darkness. They push back on ignorance. What does that do? It enlightens our eyes. We can see the truth of God. We can see the truth of his son. We can see 
the truth of his word, and it changes us. It changes us. Who needs clarity or truth concerning a matter in your life? I've got good news. God's word brings enlightenment to our eyes. Look at verse 9. Two more, just two more. Hang with me. Verse 9 tells us, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What is it? It's clean. It's clean in essence, and it's clean in impact. It endures forever. It's, its power and its purpose never ends, and we can always count on it. Who in here needs to be reminded of the, internal, the eternal impact that God and his word is having and wants to have on your life? Look at the last thing it says. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous all together. What is it? It's true. God's word never fails. It's never off the mark. He is the greatest look into the reality of our world and what does his truth do? It's righteous altogether. His words are an extension of his will and his character and they create the standard for our life. Who in here needs to be reminded of the standard that God has called us to? It's in his word. David lays out these six declarations, and he says, hey, here's what makes this thing so special. Here's, here's what makes this instruction manual for creation so uniquely different than anything on the planet. This should be the constant in our lives. It should be the center of our lives. I don't know how many instruction manuals I've kicked to the side in the process of trying to put something together. That's usually where I start, you know? I usually unbox something and I find all the elements and I find all the little different pieces, the screws, what have you, and the instruction manual just kind of goes to the wayside real fast. It's so easy for us as Christ's followers to operate that same way in our life. If this word, friends, if this word is all sufficient, if everything we need is in it, if it is to be the go-to standard, the go-to source, for everything we face in life, then why is it not day in, day out, a part of our life? In the 1980s, there were a group of, of Christian missionaries that went into China, and they brought with them suitcases full of, of Bibles. And they snuck these suitcases with Bibles into the underground church in China. And they would go through different villages and different gatherings, different little communities, and they would show up with a the suitcase. They would lay it on the ground, and they would present them to these underground Christians who, if they're caught with this, could face imprisonment or even sometimes death. 
they had a camera with them, a video camera, and they recorded what happened when they put that suitcase full of Bibles in front of these Chinese Christians. Watch this. Quote David says in verse 10, he says, they, talking about the words of God, the law of God, his scriptures, he says, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. We're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. We have the scriptures on our phones, the Bible at our bedside, one on the coffee table, placed in our homes as decorations, and I'm just as guilty as everybody. My office, my study is full of Bibles. But do I really, truly understand its value in my life? David says it's more desirable than gold. It's sweeter. It's sweeter than anything. There's a great quote by Thomas Watson. He says this, a theologian, a writer. Listen to what he said. Sickness takes away the taste a sick man does not taste the sweetness in his food. Just so, the sinner, by reason of soul sickness, has lost his taste for spiritual things. David was a man who knew all about failure. We, we preach and we teach and we talk about David so much. He is a great example of someone who just missed it time and time and time again. And his failures and his shortcomings are legendary in all of Scripture. And David knew, David knew, just like most of us in this room do, that we are prone, if we're not careful, our lives can become full of so many things that don't belong and just like Thomas Watson said, the result is that we lose our spiritual taste buds. You want to know why, as Christ followers, this 
book is not more prominent and primary in our lives? Look at what verse 14 says. David said this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David knew the problem. And he says, God, let the words of my mouth, but more important, what? The meditation of my heart. My heart. David knew, just like many of us in this room do, that the problem when it comes to our appetite for God's word and his truth is that our spiritual taste buds, our hearts just become full of all the wrong things. So David says, God, don't, let, don't just let my words, because words are easy to say, but God, search my heart. Search my heart. Empty my heart out of all the things that don't belong there and fill it up with an appetite for you. That's what his prayer is. God, empty out my heart of all the junk and fill it up with an appetite for you. Friends, I just want to tell you, David's screaming on these pages. He says, it's such a beautiful, Psalm 19, as we talked about last week, is called one of the greatest lyrics in all of creation. The first six verses, he talks about creation, how beautiful, how wonderful it is. And he talks about Scripture. And he says, hey, here are the six reasons that Scripture is the primary source for truth. And he's screaming all these things to us. And he says, hey, but here's the key. Here's the key. God, search my heart. Search my heart. Keep it clean because I want to have an appetite for your truth. After David looked up and saw the stars, he looked down and saw the scriptures, and then he asked God to look inside. He looked up, verses one through six, here's the stars. He looked down, verses seven through 13, here are the scriptures. And verse 14 says, God, look inside. Look inside my heart. Reveal to me anything, anything, anything that's in the way. I want to have an appetite for your truth. Look at the last word in chapter 19. The last word in this beautiful chapter. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can we say it together? One, two, three, Redeemer. Let's try it again. One, two, three, Redeemer. That's how the chapter ends. Starts with creation and ends with redemption. David knew what it was like to be redeemed. That word redeemed, it means to be bought back, to be ransomed, to be rescued, to be restored to the original state. David says, God, you are my redeemer. Redemption needs 
a residence. Redemption needs a residence. God's plan in creation has always been redemption. Always. His plan's always been redemption. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this word, redeemer. Look at this, it's on the screen. Let me read it to you. If God is your redeemer, he can be your strength. Live acceptably in his sight, allowing the meditation of your heart to please him, then your life will be what he wants it to be. God is more than the God of creation and the God of scriptures. He is the God of redemption. If your heart is filled with him and yielded to him, you can have victory over sin. Don't simply worship the God of nature and here it is, listen to this. Get into the word of God and let God get in to you. Get into the word of God and let God get in to you. Redemption.